please stand as you're able for the reading of the scripture. Our scripture this morning is from Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I shall see it and remember that everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. So my poem today comes from Mary Oliver's book entitled Devotions, which is a com compilation of a lot of her books. And the name of this poem is Where Does the Temple Begin and Where Does It End? There are things you can't reach but you can reach out to them all the day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you busy as anything else, but happier. The snake slides away, the fish jumps like a little lily out of the water and back in. The goldfinches sing from the unreachable top of the tree. I look morning to night and I'm never done with looking. Looking, I mean not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms open. And thinking, maybe something will come, some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from an old tree. They're all in this too. And now I will tell you the truth. Everything in the world comes at least closer and cordially. Like the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish the unlooping snake, like goldfinches, little dolls of gold fluttering around the corner of the sky of God, the blue air. Will you pray with me? Oh God, fill us with your Holy Spirit and may the words I speak, whether it's through me or in spite of me, engraved on the hearts of those who hear them. Through Christ our Lord, amen. 
So this week we are going to be dealing with history, which for those of you who have talked to me a little bit, understand that I am a history buff, and I love history, whether it's church history, local history. I'm all excited about seeing all, some of the things that are going on around Concord that have to deal with the history of this particular area. So history is really important. But when I ask for a history of the church, the last thing I want is a list of dates and pastors and who served on whatever committees. Blech. What I really, really want, what I really want to know is when was the time that you were proudest of this church, proudest to be part of this, part of something that changed your life? When was the time that you were most frustrated with what was going on in this church and you were ready to walk? I want you to really think about these things. And I know a couple of people said they don't come to church to get an assignment. Oh well, I would like these things to be sent to me. You can do them anonymously if you would like. You can write them down and leave them, you know, slide them under the door. I don't care by you at all with these. But it's important for me to know, if we're going to move forward, what you really have loved about this church in the past and what has given you a real pain in the butt. Those are important things for someone. Now, I do understand we're going to spend a great deal of time looking over our shoulder at what happened before. But the things that I've read, which were the 40th anniversary and the 50th anniversary, didn't talk about frustrations. Loss of members. Really, really important in the life of the church. It's very important to understand when people who have been part of your congregation for 40 or 50 years pass away, that they leave a hole. And do you just let that hole be? Do you just let it sit there? When I was serving the Lansing Church, we had a couple who had been founding members of that church who died within six days of each other. And for months afterwards, no one would sit where Dave and Joan had sat. They avoided the pew in front, the pew in back, and the pew they sat in. Almost like death was contagious or something. And it bothered me to the point that I said, what do we do to honor who they were and what they meant to this congregation? How do we embroider around the torn edges of that quilt to make something beautiful of who they were? So we look at this story and think about what it means to find our own rainbow. So I have a story. Back when I was in Washington State, my house was burned by arson. Now this caused a big brouhaha because I was living on a reservation and in case you hadn't noticed, I'm white. 
And so I was in the minority there, and it made a big deal in the city of Yakima, and they sent this young, really excited reporter out who probably hadn't been in church since his baptism, even if then. And he wanted to know how I felt having this horrible thing happen to me, a white person. And I was a little bit taken aback. And I did say to him, um, it didn't happen to me, it happened, period. And my whiteness had nothing to do with it. And he was really upset about that. So about six months later, he comes back to do a follow-up, because at that point, the young man who had set the house on fire was serving a 16-week sentence, and he wanted to know how I was doing. And the house had not been torn down yet. It was still there. There was some real issue over who was going to tear it down, what they were going to do with it, and blah, blah, blah. So we're walking around the house, because he wanted to take a lot of pictures of that. So the fire had happened, like, in... February, so this was maybe May, and we're walking around, and I got to this place where there were violets and iris coming up through the ashes. And I stopped, and I looked at it, and I said, thank you, Jesus. And he said, for what? And I said, I wasn't praying to you, honey. <laughs> and I said, look at that. The flowers are coming up through all the ashes and soot and nastiness. And he said, so what? That was over 20 years ago, and I haven't gotten over that yet. So what? So what? It was an amazing thing to see those flowers coming through the ashes. It was an amazing thing to see that God's presence was coming up through what looked like it was dead. Now, I can only imagine what Noah thought when God spoke to him. I've never had that experience, unfortunately. I've never had God say, Jane, never has happened. But I do think that Noah had to be a bit taken aback. Noah had to wonder what it all meant. What did it mean for him? So when we look at where we are in 2022, a long time removed from the flood, I ask you, what is your flood? Where have you been, whether it's in the life of the church or in your personal life, where you were overcome with what was put in front of you? And then what was your sign? What sign did you have that God was still present, God was with you? And then what is the covenant? I really knew without a doubt when I saw those flowers coming through the ashes, I knew that I had not been abandoned by God. And I knew that this whole business with the fire had nothing to do with race. 
It had to do with some cultural issues, but it did not have anything to do with race. And alcohol. As the people of God. And when this young man was released from jail, because he was too young to go to prison, I invited him to come to church. And I was taken to task for that. How could I? Invite him to come into the place that he, where he hurt us so much. And I think for the congregation, that was their flood. And I think they learned that if we can't forgive him and welcome, welcome him into our midst, as one who has sinned like all of you, if you can't do that, then you have a lot of nerve calling yourself church. Well, as it happens, Alden needed to go and take his GED, and the only place a GED was offered was at the church. He had been kicked out of school for bringing a weapon to school, and he'd been kicked out of his grandmother's house because he had stolen from her. One of his parents had, was deceased and one was in prison. And when they did find him after the fire, he was living in a dumpster. Now, the day of the fire, I moved in man's house. had everything I needed. There was a kitchen, there was a shower, there was a washer and a dryer, there was a bed. I was good. But he was in a dumpster. He served as... And when he wanted to do his GED, I had to go to court to allow him to be able to come to the church to receive that education. Then I moved back east, much to Suda's delight, and I kind of lost touch with what was going on with Alden. Several years later, I ended up at a church that did a lot of mission work, and there was a group that wanted to go out to Washington to see what we could do on the reservation. And I ran into a very close friend, and I said, Nancy, what happened to Alden? And she says, oh, you need to sit down. And I thought, oh, please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me he's dead. And she said, you need to sit down. And I sat down. And she said, reservation. And she said, then he got a job working for the tribe doing anti-gang, anti-drug work. And I've learned since that he has left the nation and has gone to the reservation in Oregon, where he was born, still doing drug and alcohol and anti-gang work. 
If I had to lose everything I owned to give that kid a chance, it was worth every single cent. It was worth every moment of anxiety. Alden, almost every day. And I hope that he has found his God. I hope that he has found the place where he feels he can connect with the sacred and the holy. I have nothing, no, no contact. But that story has been told a thousand times. And I cannot tell that story without tearing up. But you have those kinds of things in your history, history of your church, things that you thought you could never recover. The stories that are important for us to move forward. All of the statistics in the world will not tell me who you are. Your stories of pain and recovery will tell me who you are. So don't be afraid to share those stories. Don't be afraid to tell me where you have come from, what drew you to this place, and what has kept you in this place. Once we know those things, we can start to figure out what's really important for us, which will help us to come up with those things that we call core values. We can't just assume that everybody knows everything. We can't assume that everybody that walks through the door is familiar with the Bible. We can't assume that everyone here is a cradle Methodist. I'm not. Baptized Lutheran, grew up in the UCC and didn't become a Methodist until I was out of high school. So we, we have a history that defines us, but we're really reluctant to share that history. So another question I'd like to ask you is, what would you think would have happened if there had been no covenant from God after the flood? Flood came, flood ended, and we just go on. No promise or anything from God. No expectation from God that we be faithful. No covenant from God that there will be no more floods to destroy all life. Where would we be? Where would we be if there was no Jesus? Where would we be if it was all just what we want and how we think? What would that mean for you? I know it would be devastating for me. Without having faith at the base, without knowing that we stand on the shoulders of hundreds of thousands of people who have gone before us, without recognizing and honoring those people, we are moving around in the dark. And that's one reason I love the symbolism of Jesus being the light of the world.
who helps us to see what we need to see. I'm not afraid of the dark, but I don't like being in the dark. Every time I have fallen and hurt myself, it's because it's been dark. I have no desire to be in the dark all the time. So my friends, and I'm real comfortable saying that, folks, uh, my friends, my prayer for you is that you become vulnerable enough to share your story because our stories are what make up the fabric of who we are and who we are as a community of faith. In my opinion, there are no outsiders in this place. And that comes from one who has felt like an outsider most of her life. So we need to be willing to share our stories. I will hold them confidential. I will not share them with everybody else. You share your stories as you are comfortable. But I truly think we can't move forward until we are willing to say who we are and whose we are. May it be so. Amen.